Hello all, welcome to the Lunar Sea Spire cartoon fan podcast. This is episode 494 and today we'll be talking about Bear With Me from Summer Camp Island. I'm GC13. And I'm David. Girly oh girly, give us your jurly. <laughs> the, the rascals came back and uh, it was climactic for a few seconds and then they were dealt with pretty swiftly. Then they went right back to being themselves again. I I didn't think you could bottom out after Elfie Jelfy, but here we go. <laughs> and I love it. I just want that to be known. I love what nerds these guys are. <laughs> I love their recollection of the past five minutes of their life. I, I love the, the little moment. So, you know, okay. Uh, framing ourselves in this episode. Um, Mildred comes back. She's been tricked by her ghost to make it to the island. Uh, she comes back. She's refusing to believe that she is Mildred. She appears with her jelly and the rascals want it and they appear and everyone is like, how did you appear? How did you wake up? And they <laughs> explain it in a hilarious little montage, which during it, apparently they are <laughs> telling their story with their eyes closed the entire time. And the jelly is, you know, swiftly removed with the help of the bears. And yeah, wow. This is just hilarious. <laughs> I loved Barb's Let Me Tell You a Story. <laughs> and it just cuts to them just obliviously telling their story while no one's paying attention to them at all. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I love that Barb's plan airs on the side of pretty ridiculous <laughs> uh, with the, oh, you thought I was just hitting my nose out of frustration? No, it's code. And then when I went and woke up the bears, I talked to them in code. <laughs> yep. Did complicated hand signals, and then the couch you're sitting on, it's two bears. <laughs> <laughs> Those cuts were amazing. Uh, also, the whole plan, like, oh, Susie went into the metaphysical reserve because they planted the idea in her head. Whoa, that that's a lot to take in, because we were kind of questioning, you know, her going in there seemed a little like there's some weird force drawing her in there. Okay, well, there was a force <laughs> drawing her in there in some way. And I did like how they foreshadowed it with uh, Ramona saying, Oh, Susie keeps saying it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And then we see the striped horse, you know, muttering in her sleep, It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Oh, that's so true. They were able to do that from their bodies. That is an amazing connection. So yeah, they didn't just plant a little idea about the metaphysical reserve. They they were keeping her on the straight and narrow path of I will accept no treatments <laughs> until it's time to open a portal. Which is kind of wild for the show to have villains who can just remotely manipulate you invisibly. And the fact that their end goal is just to eat jelly. Again, I <laughs> need to watch this entire show again to understand if there is a metaphor or if this is just a children's book story. I do not know. <laughs> I mean, I think after the Pale Dog's performance, I think we can uh, pretty safely lean towards uh, storybook villains here. It's just funny because they're such strong visual symbols. Uh, they had such a good, good introduction with them up on that water spout. Ooh, so biblical. Uh-huh. And there's all these mysterious choices made throughout that I don't understand. Like, okay, we know that on the original version of the island, there was a 
protozoic, you know, pool of magic. And now it's a diamond. I, I have a bad memory. We don't have any knowledge on why it's a diamond right now, right? Oh, it just formed into a diamond, like on its own. They watched it happen. And it is inconvenient for these jelly-hungry guys. I mean, you have to sit and ask yourself, is there a relationship between any of these things? Because they highlight it here. They're, you know, saying, we can't eat jelly now because it's in this useless form. But hey, you have jelly. (sighs) And we can smell it through the jar. But that jelly has been sitting in non-airtight jars for hundreds (laughs) of years. There's no way it can taste good. It is magic, so... (laughs) I guess that's it. I guess that's it. <laughs> it, it, it is magic. <laughs> yeah, as Garnet would tell us. I, I don't want to let too much time go without pointing out the disrespect the rascals showed to Oscar here. Talking about how the first thing they did after they oh woke my up goodness. was fix their hair. I, I know. We didn't, I don't even think we got a facial reaction from Oscar for that part of the story, but. Too gruesome to show on television. They'll have to save it for the director's cut. Yeah, it is what it is. I mean, he still got a W with the fact that they liked how it looked on the diamond. So. Yeah, yeah. So at least he didn't strike out. <laughs> Mildred running through the ghost was kind of a striking visual. More of ev- Everyone in cartoons these days love, uh, love the waterfalls from eyes. That, that's nice and disturbing. And uh, we also get some frogs. Emitting other frogs from their <laughs> <Yes>. mouths? <laughs> no, no. Uh, well, I was just focused on Mildred, you know, the frogs coming out of her mouth as she learns oh, yes. her parents' fate. Yes. Yeah, that's a classic. Everyone loves that form of body horror. But it is a pretty big visual for this show, which airs pretty hard on comfort, even when there's something scary happening. So, I mean, this is a pretty direct representation of uh of just like again they're really hammering home that this one moment can be so influential to a child and i'm even on uh like looking at the show again i'm on a frame of mildred that like is pretty creepy looking honestly like she has this face that reminds you of like the the old lady who swallowed a fly which is like a children's book that is too creepy for its own good for kids and definitely gave me nightmares when I was little and was like one of the first things I had to overcome looking at. But just <laughs> Mildred's eyes are colors because she's seen all these yeah ghostly apparitions. Her mouth is uh, disturbed in a, in a like a scream groan. She's not doing well with this childhood memory of, of trauma, really. And it's been hundreds of years that she's had this repressed. And the ghost even says that this memory really was blocked, not actually forgotten. Yeah. And this, that was such a tragic moment. Didn't the, in the season where they were going through, they introduced the ghost swamp. Uh, wasn't that the most tragic memory of Susie, the, the one who performed on the piano at the bar there? And it really was the memory that set both of them on the path they would take for the next 300 plus years. <laughs> yeah. I, I think. This really distilled to me, too, because, again, it's I, I asked the question, you know, what what did Julia Potts, what did the Summer Camp Island team want kids to see here if they are thinking in terms of like, 
why do I tell a, a, a fairy tale story to a kid? Like, what do I want to impress upon them? You know, besides, duh, be kind to your sister, be kind to your sibling. There's, yeah, there's this like lasting impact, right? Now, maybe a kid doesn't fully get it, but, you know, watching as an adult, I'm like, yeah, these moments matter. <laughs> like, it, it might matter to reconcile that, to like think back. You know, I know as an older sibling of someone who's, you know, had a brother three years younger than me, there are all these weird moments, you know, growing up where like, you know, being the older sibling, you can have quite a big impact on your younger sibling and vice versa with, you know, jealousy as, as one of those feelings and frustration at their behavior, right? The younger sibling that's just seemingly always annoying. So I, I mean, I think this really boils it down <laughs> to say, uh, yeah, you know, well, at least in Mildred's case, it was quite affecting. And in, in, in Susie's case, too. You know, Susie just needs to ask for forgiveness and Mildred just feels such shame that, I mean, in some sense, you could say she's, you know, chosen to forget about being Mildred because that's how she's dealing with (laughs) her shame trauma, right? She's just completely embarrassed to be herself. And, uh, (laughs) you know, the bear tries to give her ideas like, oh, that's weird. You, You look like her and you sound like her. You're sure you're not her? Well, maybe you're a laboratory clone. <laughs> I just love how credulous Waylon was here. It's like, what are the odds? <laughs> yep. It's like, wow, I, I really appreciate his dedication to accepting the identity that Mildred presents. You know, that's that's great. It's great to believe people. I, I think he's just a <laughs> dummy, but, but you know, yeah. Waylon's good folks. He's he's trying his best for whoever Mildred is. <laughs> I I liked though that you know we we talked about how tragic it was when the light went out in Mildred's eyes when she uh, lost her memories. I like the whew, the fire stokes back up as uh as she finally remembers again. It's a nice note to end on. I mean, apparently Mildred's friend just needed to go back into her brain. Like, that's all she needed <laughs> to remember. It's kind of interesting. I don't know. But I do like that it's represented as a third eye, you know, but also in the unibrow. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, she does have a serious commitment to the unibrow, so. Now, Mildred's friend uh, has apparently been having a great time on their trip on the Jelly Roger. I love that. Oh, my god! I don't know how you could name the ship anything other than the Jelly Roger, so I'm glad they went for it. Uh, yeah, the jar puns were perfect across the episode. But he he's had, um, like, she knows a lot about this jar convention. Like, oh, as jar note speaker, you know, I have a guest pass I can give out. And she didn't make that up. Like, you know that Mildred's friend told her that over the radio. He was He was hyping the jar convention up to her the whole time. And he invented an entire theme song for it. <laughs> and he, that was the so lyrics sweet. of the song. Are, yes, they're so sweet. She sings it very nicely. He is super into it. I, I love how we get to see him, like, mouthing the words. Like, he has this whole dance he does during it. And later on, he's so eager. And then we'll have another performance of the, you know, Jar Convention Anthem. You know, he loves this song, but I can, I, I just feel sad about it. Every time. This is... I don't know. But he gets a moment of recognition, you know? He does. He does. Like, Mildred realizes, oh, you cared for me. You've been there (laughs) the whole time, yep. Yeah. I was caring for these jars and you were caring for me. That's good. That was 
very, very good ending to our episode. But whew, the, the speech she gave before that, that she had practiced, that is a very sad speech. Like, you know, maybe I'll be good enough for someone to find me and claim me. She's been feeling lost this whole time. I, it, that was an extremely raw expression of this trauma, right? And taking it one step further, it's not just insecurity about, you know, what she does. It, it, it is insecurity about, I mean, her parents literally disappear. And for her, so does her sister, even though her sister was looking for her. Uh, <laughs> that's I. That's not really what I would have thought the jars would have been a metaphor for. <laughs> so. Wow, Mildred, good job <laughs> at making that obvious. Who guards the jar guard? Mildred's friend, of course. <laughs> anyway, guys, that's it for us on Bear With Me. Join us next week. Until then, I'm GC13. And I'm David. Don't forget to leave us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. Later, everybody. Our opening and closing music is by Mark Soto. For more cartoon-related content, please visit LunarCeasefire.com.